Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our online services. Uh, you know, we'll do the whole intro and normal announcements in a minute, but I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you to the moms out there. We see you and we appreciate you. You know, I think I was talking to some, my wife this week and she was saying how for so many women, it, it feels like they're unseen. What they're doing is just going unnoticed. And we wanna say that what you are doing is valuable, important as you nurture, care, provide, go to work, stay home, do what you are doing for the children, the grandchildren that God has put in your life. We want you to know that we are thankful for you, you are valuable, you are seen, and you are appreciated. Now, for people like me who are not mothers, this is a great opportunity to acknowledge the mothers in our lives, appreciate them, spoil them, and be thankful for them. So we wanna say, uh, hey, mothers, you are appreciated. Now, uh, normally, we do, uh, you know, we don't normally do an, uh, a Mother's Day message at Faith on Hill. We just do our Bible study. And this morning we're talking about the Mark of the Beast. And I don't know if that was a good deal or not. Uh, a good idea on my part. I'm sure there's a mother-in-law joke in there somewhere, but I'm not smart enough to write one. Plus, I really like my mother-in-law. Uh, but anyway, as we continue to study God's Word together, we're going to be in the book of the Revelation. And uh, let's open up God's Word and study together. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, audio versions are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill, and you can hit subscribe there. And you'll get all of our podcasts, including Sunday mornings, but also the Talk About Anything podcast, 20-Minute Bible Study, and the Starting Points podcasts, which all deal with different things, long-form conversation, overview of the Bible, and then a 20-minute long Bible study through the bigger books of the Bible especially. We're currently in the book of 2 Samuel for that podcast. Live stream video is on our Facebook page and our website every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. But when we say live stream, it's a video that's pre-recorded. And if you're listening right now, you might say, hey, it sounds a little different. And if you're watching, you say, hey, it sure looks a little different. That's because our normal recording space in our main meeting room at the church building is being used this week, and I'm not able to record in there this week, uh, so I'm recording at home. And that just changes the whole microphone setup and how the sound of the room, everything is a little different, and that's fine. Now, we gather on Sundays at 10 30 a.m. And online, uh, we have this Bible study. Uh, we have small groups that are online. We have an online small group on Wednesday nights on the Zoom platform, and you can email me. My email is adam at faithonhill.com, or you can email small groups at faithonhill.com uh, for more information on that, how to get in on that link. Uh, we have small groups that meet throughout the week in person. Small groups at faithonhill.com give you more info on that. We have a young adult small group on Tuesday nights. We have uh, in-person small groups Sunday mornings. Uh, and we have youth group that meets on Tuesday nights as well. We're going to continue our study in the book of the Revelation. We will be in chapter 13. And today we are going to talk about one of the most well-known concepts in Scripture, but I also think one of the most misunderstood, and that is the mark of the beast. So if you have a Bible, open to Revelation chapter 13. 
I want to start off this morning reading not from the book of the Revelation, but from the book of 2 Thessalonians. This is Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica. And he says in chapter 2, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teachings that are allegedly from us whether by a prophecy or a word of mouth or by a letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So what was going on was apparently there were false teachers, false prophets, maybe like what we would think of as like trolls and pranksters in our day. And they were writing letters or saying, hey, we came with a message from Paul or from Peter or from one of the other apostles. And the day of the Lord's already come. Jesus is back. And there have been those ever since who have done that. In fact, famously, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses claimed that Jesus returned in secret and only a few knew about it. Now, what I, I won't even get into that. The point is, Paul's saying, don't think it's going to happen without you knowing about it. He said, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, meaning God is holding him back. It's not time yet so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Now there's debate about what he is taken out of the way means. Um, I I believe this is talking about the Holy Spirit is restricting uh, the Antichrist. And when the Holy Spirit is removed in, in in the way that the Holy Spirit operates in the church, I believe this is speaking of the rapture. Um, And you can go back and check out our teaching on the rapture from about a month or so ago. But that's what I believe and understand. If you disagree, I'm not interested in fighting you about it. The, The big point is that Paul is saying that there's coming this lawless one, but right now he's being held back. But when he does come, he's going to oppose everything that is of God and he will proclaim himself to be God. Why am I reading this? Because it is directly applicable to Revelation chapter 13. Let's read that now. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, says the dragon, that's the one we read about last week. It's representative, we're told in Revelation 12, that the dragon represents Satan, the devil. The dragon stood at the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns, seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns. On each head, a blasphemous name. Now, blasphemy is both speaking against God and also proclaiming yourself to be God. It is blasphemous to call God a liar. It is blasphemous to say that God will not keep his promises. But it is also blasphemous for somebody to come up and exalt themselves and say, I am superior to God or God God can't control me. I will defy him. These are blasphemous things. Each head had a blasphemous name on it. Verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and the mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but that fatal wound had been healed and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. 
people worshipped the dragon because he was given the authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people, to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation, and all inhabitants of the earth who will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, they will go into captivity. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is God's word. So the dragon comes and stands at the edge of the sea, and out of the sea comes this beast, and this beast is given power and authority from the dragon. This is representative of the man of lawlessness that we just read about. In first, or Second Thessalonians chapter two, I believe that John speaks of this in John, First John chapter two and chapter four, where he refers to the Antichrist. Now, I think he's speaking of a lot of different things, but for our purposes, when people say the Antichrist, they actually mean this beast coming out of the sea. And I'm not going to fight that. I'm a really pragmatic guy. Most people, when they say Antichrist, they actually mean the beast coming out of the sea. Uh, you can also think of Daniel chapter 9, this coming ruler who will cause abomination. And, and what is it it says in 2 Thessalonians? He's going to set himself up to be God. And, and here in, in Revelation 13, it says that he is going to slander God. He's going to blaspheme God. He's going to oppose him. Um, people will worship him. Just like in Daniel chapter 9, where this coming ruler causes a great abomination within the temple. He resembles the beasts of Daniel chapter seven. I, I pointed this out last week, uh, that there was some references to beasts and, and representing different things in Daniel chapter seven. And here in da Revelation 13, it's like he's like a leopard and he's like this and he has feet like this. And there are things where he resembles the beasts of Daniel chapter seven and each one of those beasts, and you can go back uh, in our podcast feed, and you can find where we went through the book of Daniel a couple years ago. Each one of those beasts represented a different conqueror and people who were with them conquering. You know, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, uh, Alexander the Great, all of these different uh, peoples that were coming before Messiah would come. And now there's this new conqueror on the scene, and he resembles conquerors of the past, but he's something different. Finally, it says that one of the heads had a wound and it looked fatal, but it was healed. He is going to be a false, a fake resurrection, an imposter Jesus. I don't think it is unreasonable from these verses to say that in the future, there will be a world leader who either looks like he died or maybe even died. It's possible. I, I'm not going to get into the specifics or like, you know, how that all works, but that there is some leader who it looks like receives a fatal wound and then seemingly miraculously recovers. And people say, oh my goodness, 
this is the one we are going to follow. This false Christ, this counterfeit Jesus, is coming on the scene. Now it says he's got multiple heads and there's multiple horns and each one has a blasphemous name. Uh, there's different opinions about that. Some say that it's going to be, he will be the ruler of a group of rulers. He'll be like, you know, they might be, because uh, it says that he has authority over all peoples and nations and languages. He's going to be like the first truly world leader, like the guy leading the whole world. Uh, but it could be that you know, he's got like regional leaders, like the regional leader for uh, the, you know, China and regional leader for Russia, and the regional leader for North America and for South America and the regional leader for parts of Africa. And it could be that there are 10 regional leaders because he's got different, uh, it says he's got 10 crowns. So it could be that there's nine regional leaders and then he's the 10th and he's the supreme one. We don't know. There's those who think that's the imagery. It could also be that there have been different leaders over the years, and this final one is the one that God's gonna say, okay. Because there have been people who have fit the bill. There have been Christians who have, over the centuries have looked at certain conquerors and those who have set themselves up with proud blasphemies and thought, is this the one? And maybe because they kind of fit the bill, but never quite fully. Something always restrains them, just like it says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that we read a minute ago, that something was holding it back. And it could be that this final head of the beast, the one that looks like it was fatally wounded but then comes back, is the one, the, the one that God says, all right, I'm going to let that one go through. Could be. But this is the one that we think of as the Antichrist. And it says he's given authority to rule for about 42 months, which, by the way, three and a half years. And so there's different opinions about what that means. Uh, is it that he is a major ruler for the first half of the tribulation and then at that halfway point, that's when he becomes world ruler? Possibly. Uh, others think that, uh, you know, at the beginning of the tribulation period, as judgments are dealt out, chaos reigns, and then he comes on the scene and says, I'll make things right. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to stand against this. And people in times of fear and chaos will give power to a strong man. We, we see that throughout history. You know, whether it's, it's uh, you know, Caesar, the original Caesar, who, who never gave power back. Uh, whether it's Mussolini, you know, whether it's in times of fear. I mean, why is Putin in power? Putin's in power because in Russia in the mid to late 90s, things were in chaos and they were trying to come out of, of communism but you know what Yeltsin for as many good things as Yeltsin did the guy was horribly drunk all the time alcoholic couldn't keep it together and and I was in Russia before Putin came to power that place was a mess I was in Russia for for almost a month in the summer of 1998 that place was a mess and they were ready for a strong leader to come and they handed over power to that leader. So in this, all this chaos in the first half of the tribulation, it's very possible that what this is saying is in that second half, they will hand over power to this leader who looks undefeatable. Somebody tried to kill him and he still survived. He got back up. And he's going to make war against God's people. Now we said last week, we do not know for sure who that means. We don't. We don't. Uh, that there are Christians seen at the beginning of the book of the Revelation. Jesus talks to the seven churches. And then after that, the church 
is never mentioned. Different words are used. And then the church is mentioned again at the end of the book of the Revelation, but not in the middle. It's God's people or those who hold fast, but it's a, it's a specifically different wording. I tend to think that this is a new group. They're not the Jewish people God's dealing with. We talked about that last week. They're not the church who I believe God has removed. And if you want to go back and listen to the teaching we did a month or so ago on the rapture, you can hear my point of view on that. I'm not interested in arguing. There are plenty of people in my church who think the rapture isn't happening. And I say my church, I hate saying that. Like our church, our church family. There are plenty of people in our church family who have disagreements about that. I'm not interested in arguing. So either this is a new group of people who come to faith in Jesus during this time, or it's the church or it's Israel. One of the, but the point is he is against God's people. That's the main point. And then it says that there are going to be people who die. And there will be people that are led into prison. And John says, if that's your fate, that's your fate. And this isn't fatalism. This is faith. Why is it that there are some Christians who live very peaceful lives? other Christians who have nothing but trial and torment because of their faith. And John's saying, look, that's not your business. Think about this. Out of the 12 disciples, John was the only one not killed for his faith. And it's very reasonable to say, wait a minute, why was John the one who was left? Peter killed for his faith. Thomas killed for his faith. Andrew, Philip, Simon the Zealot, all killed for their faith. Others like Paul, who weren't, you know, one of the 12 disciples, although maybe he was a replacement, that's debatable. Uh, They were martyred. They were killed. Those who saw Jesus risen and were put to death. Why is it that John survived? And he said, that was what God wanted. If God wants me to live, I'll live. If God wants me to die, I'll die. That's in his hands. I'm going to just be faithful to the testimony that God has given me. But... This beast from the sea is not the only beast. Let's continue reading Revelation chapter 13. Verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. The first beast came out of the sea. The second beast came from the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in the full view of people. Because of the signs it was given the power to perform on the behalf of the first beast, it deceives the inhabitants of the earth and it orders them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to breathe into the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and caused all who refused to worship the image, all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Verse 16, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which was the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man that is the number 666. The first beast came from the sea. 
and it was given power from the dragon, Satan. The second beast came from the land, and it was also given power. Neither of these beasts are powerful in and of themselves. They are only allowed what they are given. Their power stems from Satan, but their authority is only given to them because God is allowing it. John is being incredibly clear. These people that the world reveres have no power were it not given to them. They are powerless in and of themselves. Jesus said the same thing to Pontius Pilate. Pontius, the Roman governor, said, Don't you know I have the power to give life and death for you? And Jesus looked at him and said, You would have no power unless it was given to you. The only reason you have this authority, you're, you're standing over me in this authority, but it doesn't come from yourself. Pontius's power was derived from the Roman government. The beast's power is derived from the devil. But even then, their authority is only in that God has allowed it. And that's the message that John is giving. These who the world say are so powerful and important have nothing in and of themselves. Now, what's the difference between the sea and the land? There are those who make a big deal about this. The first beast comes from the sea. The second beast from the, comes from the land. I am not an expert in ancient Mediterranean symbology. Now, I have read this week from people who are people who are far smarter and far more educated than I am or than you are or whoever. The sea seems to represent a certain part of the world and the land also seems to represent a certain part of the world. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that from a global perspective, the Antichrist, the first beast, the one who comes from the sea, is from one part of the world. Personally, as I understand the scripture, and I hate being like this because I don't mean to be so Eurocentric, but the indications both from the Old Testament, places like Daniel chapter 9, and the New Testament, specifically the book of the Revelation, is that the Antichrist will be of European stock, not because Europe is special or more, more you know, whatever than the rest of the world, but because he is the ruler of the people who is to come, those who will destroy Jerusalem. Who was that? It was the Romans. So my assumption is that this ruler will come from the Foreman Roman Empire. Now that being said, and here's why it's not so Eurocentric, the former Roman Empire included parts of Western Asia and included parts of North Africa. Um, it's very possible that that's where this beast will come from. It's also likely that the beast coming from the land speaks of somebody coming from the east. Somebody coming from north into what we would think of as like, you know, current day Saudi Arabia, Iran, India, uh, North Central Asia, uh, the Caucasus steppes. Those would all be the land to their mind or somewhere farther south, somewhere in Africa, but also the land. Um, that's also possible as well. The idea I, I want to get at, because there are people who spend way too much time, and I mean this way too much time, trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, I have no interest in trying to figure that out. I'm just saying what John is describing is a world leader who will come out of the, the sea, and to their mind, that would be the, the, the world to the west. And another leader who will come from the land, very possibly from the east, 
And the second beast will be like the, the hype man for the first. And he's going to be the prophet. We have here a false trinity when you think about it. The dragon, Satan. The second beast is like the incarnation of Satan. That's, you know, a fake Jesus, Antichrist. The third, uh, the, the third part is that second beast, the beast from the land, who's like the Holy Spirit going around and telling everybody, pointing everybody to the Antichrist. And this false beast that comes out of the land, that's his job. He is what uh, gets commonly referred to as the false prophet. There'll be an antichrist and he'll have his false prophet. It's interesting how many world leaders, conquerors, rulers have had somebody like that. Uh, They've had somebody incredibly loyal to them, somebody whose whole thing is to hype them up. Think about this. Um, You know, Stalin had Molotov. Molotov was like, whatever you want, I will do it. I will be your guy. I will, I will go and uh, I'll work your deals. And I am, I mean, Molotov was so loyal to Stalin that Stalin had Molotov's wife thrown in jail. And he was like, well, guess she must've done something bad because, you know, couldn't be Stalin was wrong. Like he was so loyal to him. And Hitler had like Goebbels, right? Like his propaganda minister, somebody who would went around and just promoted and promoted and promoted the Fuhrer. So there's these these false prophets will be on the scene. My guess is that the Antichrist will be perceived as a political leader with religious tones, and this false prophet will be a religious leader pointing the world's religions to him. Um, you know, people might say secularism is on the rise, and it, and it is in part in America and in parts of Western Europe, but generally speaking, worldwide, people are very spiritual, very religious. And a worldwide religious leader would be far more likely to come from other parts of the world than the Western world. I'm, I'm just speaking of, of where we're at. Now, he's this false prophet and he has power. It says he performs great signs. He calls fire down in front of everybody, things that can't be faked. Just because something looks good, just because something has power, it doesn't mean it's a good thing. People worship the devil because they worship beast, the first beast, the Antichrist. Just because somebody looks good, slick, has all kinds of stuff going on, doesn't mean that they're the real deal. The American church is learning this right now. The Western church is learning this right now. And we see celebrity preacher after celebrity preacher being found to be false. They looked good, but things were rotten. And this beast will come and it says he'll make an image and breathe life into it. Now, it could be we're living in a modern world, right? Technology, it could be this is speaking of television. Could be this is speaking of, uh, you know, YouTube. It could be speaking of AI, could be. Yet don't discount the supernatural in all of this. The fire coming from heaven is a supernatural, powerful event. Just because We live in a modern world. We have this tendency to want to write off the supernatural, both good and bad. We have a tendency to not really believe that Jesus will answer our prayer. We have a tendency to not really believe that God is powerful and can deliver us. And at the same time, we have a tendency to underplay the enemy and underplay the power of the enemy and the work of the enemy and not realize that the the wars and, and things raging around us could have supernatural 
underpinnings and supernatural currents that are forcing them behind the scenes. I mean, the, the dragon, the devil, is very behind the scenes here. He's letting the Antichrist and the false prophet be very front and center, but he's the one pushing things, empowering, getting worship. It's very possible that we might look and think that things going on are very human, very natural, not recognizing the supernatural behind them. It says that this false prophet will cause everyone to take a mark, the mark of the beast. And nobody can buy or sell unless they have this mark on their, on their hand or on their forehead. And then they said that, uh, read it again, uh, the person, uh, the number of the beast is the number of the man that is 666. Now, I'm going to admit something that I am not proud of, nor am I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed of. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I was in like, I was, I don't know, 20, 21. I spent a summer where I was like low key trying to figure out what the mark of the beast was and like decode it, right? Um, I would not advise that. It's a waste of time. It's the most fruitless thing I've ever done. And it was the closest I've ever been to that meme where the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia has, the, has all the things and the red, you know, lines pointing to this conspiracy theory. Not great. Not proud of that. Uh, you know, wish, wish that wasn't part of my story. This mark will cause people to not be able to buy and sell. So economic force and power will be put on people, but they will take it because they'll say, who is like the beast? Even the most like libertarian prepper, you know, <laughs> will take this thing. The people who are like, oh man, you know, one world, like they'll be like, no, nope, I'm going to do it. And all people will do it because they'll be so persuaded by this false prophet that will come and gin up support for the beast. Here's what I would say about this. Chapter 14, which we'll look at next week, indicates, I believe very strongly, that no one will take the mark by accident. And there have been people who have said, hey, if you take the COVID vaccine, you could be taking the mark of the beast. That is nonsense. And this is what frustrates me, not just about that, but about things in general, where people give these thoughts and say things, and it's like, go and read what it actually says. It doesn't say that people will be taking this by accident. It doesn't say that it's a shot. It says that it's a mark on your hand or your forehead and you will not be able to buy or sell, that you won't be able to do business or even go to the grocery store without this. That's the level of allegiance and power that people will give over to this false Christ. No one's going to do it by accident. And then there are those who try to figure out who is it. It's the number of a man. And then we can figure that out. We can figure out who the Antichrist is. Well, first of all, if the Antichrist isn't on the scene yet, you're not going to figure it out. There are others who say, no, if you do 666, that's the number of Nero. Um, I, I'll say this. I have been trying very hard to read mostly Bible commentators and commentaries of people who do not hold my theological view on the book of Revelation. Uh, people who are not uh, what's called dispensationalists, people who don't really believe in the rapture, uh, people who kind of take revelation a little more like allegorically or um, kind of like symbolically than I do. I tend to be a little more literal in how I read revelation. I've been trying to read more from them because I want their point of view. I want a counterbalance. I want to see things from all sides. And I was reading some guys today who do, and, and not today, but like this week, who do not share my view, who do not take revelation as literally as I do, uh, who, who are not on the same page as I am. And they were 
they were like, and I thought they might go with this. I thought they might say, oh, you know, 666, that's like Caesar. And so it, you know, it could be that John was speaking about, you know, Nero and, and, you know, he, this is all kind of a, a thing for Christians in that day and in that persecution. And multiple guys that I read laughed it off. They said, that's ridiculous on multiple levels. There's so many problems with that theory. And they'd laugh off any, any person that tried to say, you know, Barack Obama or, or, you know, um, Putin or whoever that's six, six, that's ridiculous stuff. My assumption is that in that day, people living in that time will be able to understand what's happening there. I don't know what it means. John says this requires wisdom and I don't have that wisdom and I doubt anyone does who's currently living. It's very likely in that day that people will know exactly what that means, but I don't think we're there yet. To me, what is important is to know that 666, the mark of the beast and the beast himself is not more important than Jesus. There are people who will devote hours and hours and years of study to trying to figure out these things. And they're Christians and they say, oh, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow God and all this stuff. And then they spend all their time studying about the beast. That makes no sense to me. There are people who say, oh, I love Jesus. And then they spend all of their time going down YouTube rabbit holes of conspiracy theory and, and rage posting. There are people who, oh, I just want to, I just want to know all of this stuff. And it's not more important than Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. What is important is to know this. People are looking for a savior. And when you deny the true savior, then you will look for a false one. People are not anti-spiritual. Human beings are spiritual creatures. And the supernatural is real. And when you deny the true creator, the true God, the true power, you will look for a false one. And this false prophet comes along to support the Antichrist and he does miraculous supernatural things because he's empowered by the devil to do so. And we'll be saying, oh my goodness, can you believe that? Because we are rejected the truth and we look for the lie. Friends, I'll say this. I believe that God is true. I believe there is one God. I believe he created the entire world. I believe that humanity rejected his ways and fell under the curse of sin and death and that God initiated a rescue plan and did so when he himself became a human, Jesus Christ, and lived among us and died so that we wouldn't have to face the judgment that our sins deserve. And he rose from the dead three days later, victorious over sin and death, and that he will come back and establish his rule and reign. And we're going to get to that at the end of the book of the Revelation. But most of the world rejects that good news. Most of the world rejects that message and they will look for a false Christ. And it may not be the Antichrist. Maybe they look for a false Christ in our day. They, they say, I need a savior, but you know what? I don't believe it's Jesus. So they'll look for a savior. Maybe they're themselves. I'm a self-made person. I'm my own savior. Maybe it's in someone else. This person, this relationship will save me. Maybe it's in a political ideology or leader. I'll follow that person. I'll follow this person and they'll save me. Maybe it's in, in some false religion, some cult leader or some, some spirituality or whatever. People, when they reject the truth, will search for a replacement and it will always let you down because this beast who everybody says, look how great they are. Look how powerful they are. They have no power in themselves. This, greet, this beast who everybody says, look how great they are. Look how powerful they are. They're literally 
working for the devil. Nothing good comes of that. And understand this, when we put our faith in people, politics, when we put our, put our faith in people, false religions, we could be putting our faith literally in people who are empowered and working for the devil. I know that sounds like, whoa, what do you mean by that? If you have questions, email me, adam at faithonhill.com. But what I want to say is this, that everybody goes like, oh my gosh, the mark of the beast, what's going on? And it's one of the most talked about things in terms of like Christianity and American culture. Like most Americans, they might not know about everything to do with Christianity, but they've heard of the mark of the beast. They've heard of 666. You see a horror movie, you know that's going on. And I'm saying this, Jesus is more important. And the reason that people here in that day follow the beast, follow his false prophet, take his mark, and they do so willingly, they're not going to be like, oh, oops, I guess I took the mark of the beast. They are going to know what they did, and they do so because they reject the truth, and they are looking for the false substitute. And the invitation to us is to live in the truth, to embrace the truth. Christians care more about Jesus than we do about this stuff. Non-Christians, this will lead to your destruction. So find the truth. Consider Jesus. If you have any questions, like I said, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. We're at, in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. And uh, love to see you in one of our small groups. We'll see you next week as we read more and study more in the book of the Revelation, chapter 14. God bless you.